Tyrion nodded, but he turned to the children and said, Now, friends, it is time for you to go hence into your own world. Doubtless you have done all that you were sent to do. But, but we've done nothing, said Jill, who was shivering. Not with fear exactly, but because everything was so horrible. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we're doing a chapter-by-chapter chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. I'm Chase. Thank you for joining us. Just a reminder that today we're going to be talking about the seventh book in the series, The Last Battle, but general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we will go on tangents into other stories that we enjoy. Uh, we'll try to do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there, but today we are discussing chapter nine of The Last Battle. The Great Meeting on Stable Hill, which, man, I would love to be a part of that one day. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if this chapter was about the Great Meeting on Stable Hill, maybe it would be interesting in a different way. It um, would be, but alas, it's not about that. No, uh, but you know, Cal, I can tell you what it is about with our chapter summary. It's about death. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is just a Barbie chapter. It's And then it's going to be fine. We'll, we'll get through it. Yeah, this is a, you know... Intro to Existential Crisis uh, by C.S. Lewis. Right. Hey, Chase, so, give us a summary. Yeah. Uh, so they had just gotten this terrible news of a massacre at Care Paravel because, you know, casual children's book, keeping it light. Um, and so our group, our party, just stands there for a long time in shock from the news. And then they turn to discuss how, you know, the ape, Shift must have been plotting with the Tizrak uh, and his forces to take Narnia even before he found the lion skin. Like he must have been sympathizing with them beforehand. And now all they could do is either go and die at Stable Hill or go and die against the army that would be coming to meet them from Care Paravel. Uh, so, with this kind of realization and just existential dread, the king turns to the kids and says that he thinks their time in Narnia is done. Like they've done all they can do. There's no more that they can handle here. It would be no good for them to die here. Uh, Jill was quick to say, no, they should stay and fight. That's why they're here. Eustace agrees, but because they don't have a choice. They don't have any magic. They can't get themselves back. And so when Tyrion realized that the kids don't have a way to leave on their own, he starts to come up with ideas to get them out of harm's way. Uh, but they realized soon that regardless of what they do, the Tisrock's army would soon take every safe place that they could hide. They determined that going back to Stable Hill during the day might be their best option since it wouldn't be as heavily guarded, not as many people to see them, and none of the Narnians would be going near it except for when they were called there for the apes' terrible midnight meetings. They decided their best bet would be to uh, hide Puzzle away behind the stable and then bring him out when they needed to jump out and make a point and give the Narnians a sudden surprise to try to turn them against the ape. As they walked towards Stable Hill, Eustace and Jill began to feel the dread of their situation. What would happen if they died there? Would they wake up on their train on Earth? Would they just vanish and never be heard from again? Would Peter and the others find them dead in their train car? And the thought was horrid. They almost wished they hadn't come except 
no, no. They would rather die fighting for Narnia than go growing old and stupid in some retirement home and just die in the end all the same because, you know, let's be mean to the elderly while we're at it. Uh, or for that matter, like, it'd be better to die in Narnia than to, I don't know, be killed in a train accident. And then for a moment, Eustace seemed to remember, thinking of the jerk that threw them into Narnia, felt a little bit like a train crash. But then they went on talking about something else. Uh, they stopped thinking about death, or at least talking about it, and began to plan their fight instead. They were sure many Narnians would join them, and who knows, maybe they would win here, and instead of going to die in another battle, maybe they could hide further into the Lantern Waste and build support, like in the days of King Moraz and Prince Caspian. Uh, once they got into sight of the stable, they started to move more stealthily, taking their time running from cover to cover, and got near and waited in hiding near the stable until they could hear the sound of a gong and saw a fire burning on the other side of the building. Tyrion and Jewel spoke as though they would not survive the night, and then they all watched as a Narnian crowd gathered. The Tarkin captain led Shift the Ape to the fire, and the Tarkin conspired with Ginger the Cat for some plan. They all took their places for the theater piece they were uh, performing, and the Tarkin captain told the ape to speak the words that wiser heads had prepared for him. Shift spoke up to the crowd that something terrible had happened. And Tashlan, Aslan and Tash put together, if you remember from earlier, uh, is very angry about it. He told uh, the crowd that a beast had dressed himself up as Aslan and was wandering these very woods claiming to be Aslan. A common donkey. The crowd was stirred up with anger that someone would do such a thing. The ape had ruined their plan to show Narnians the truth by getting ahead of it and twisting the truth into his lies. And with that realization of their situation, the chapter ends. Honestly, that's a it's a pro move. By it really, I mean, look, getting ahead of the message, classic politician move. Honestly, it's, the Tarkin and Ginger know what they're doing. They're like. They're showing that they're they're capable, right? Like they're not, you know, we don't root for them, obviously, because they're a cat um, and like yeah. and our enemy. And so it's like, you know, we, we don't want them to win, but it's like, man, pro move. Like, good work there. Did uh, you catch the point in the chapter where when they were thinking of what Narnians would join their side, their first thought was, well, obviously the dogs and the bears would join our side. Obviously, because they're good. And, and the cat is evil. It, this is really just a classic dogs versus cats story. If you think if about I've it. learned anything from animated cartoons, it's that dogs and cats are enemies of you know time immemorial. You know, so uh, it, it makes sense. But Chase, we I feel like this is just the existential dread chapter, right? Like yeah. it's a uh, you know we we see it at the beginning. We're coming off the heels of the slaughter at Care Paravel. Uh, which, you know, C.S. Lewis does so many things off screen in these books. Yeah. I kind of wish we got the slaughter at Care Paravel. You, you want the Red Wedding in Narnia? If not the Red Wedding, the... the send their regards. Like, we need Helm's Deep, but Narnia. Mm, like, we yes. need, like, a real battle. We need Susan sliding down a shield... Firing arrows at at people. Well, Susan's not in Narnia, right? She's you're right. She's not, she's not a believer. Sorry, she's not uh, dead. I'm sorry, she's not a Narnian. 
Yeah, she's in America shopping. Yeah. That's because, her personality. She's a heathen. Uh, but we come across, you know, the, the slaughter, the wreckage, the news of all this. And everyone is basically like, man, what hope do we have? Understandably so. And they're like, man, this this is the worst. And like Tyrion is, is kind of just accepting this. And he's like, well, we can't leave. So Eustace and Jill, y'all should probably just duck out of here. Not really understanding, you know, interdimensional physics by any means. But he's yeah. like, y'all should just roll out, go back where you came from. You don't need to be here. And like, it's funny, Jill and Eustace's response. Jill's like, well, one, we haven't done anything. And it's like, no, like we we want to be here. We care. And Eustace is like, yeah, but also we can't interdimensionally travel. That's not our choice. <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> The personality difference between Jill and Eustace, I really feel like comes out in this chapter of just like, Jill is determined, she is committed, she is like, all on board with the righteous cause. Eustace is just always the pragmatist. And it's just like, well, I mean, we can't even anyways. So why even talk about it? And she's like, but no, we're staying for morale. And he's like, sure. But also, we can't leave. Yeah, he's like, no, 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 don't get me wrong. I agree that we're staying. I'm just letting you know, even if we wanted to leave, not saying we do, but if we wanted to leave, oh, we couldn't. We really can't. <laughs> we, like, I and I, I just love that. I was like, I, I wish we had a little bit more of those interactions because like, I like the kind of matter-of-factness of Eustace. Like, it's annoying, yeah. but it's also like, that's a fun character trait, you know, where it's like, Yes, we get it. Like, and I really feel like this book doesn't give us a lot of actual dialogue between Jill and Eustace or like of them individually, just because it's so much exposition. You've got to get so much attempts at exposition. Like, there's not a lot of like character moments for them, and especially coming off the heels of Silver Chair. Where yeah. it's like, it's all character, right? Like, obviously, like, you're going through the adventure, but the book is really good because of the interactions between Jill, Eustace, and Puddle Glum. Like, yeah. Or even if you think back to, like, uh, the Don Treader, like, yeah, that book was a little bit more disjointed as a story, but, like, it had some real character moments for all the characters involved, especially Eustace. Like, we got to know him and watch his whole character arc. Yeah. Yeah. I, you definitely wish for more, but you also get it. Cause you're like, look, CS Lewis has got to end his world. So yeah. like, there's a lot of things to wrap up. He's laid the dynamite. He's lit the fuse. It's yeah. all care. Paravel has fallen. I, and Oh man. How about that? It's like, that's that. I, I just got real, um, Kingsley Shacklebolt vibes, where like the ministry has fallen and like talking through his paternus. But um, we, you know, they're like, okay, we won't leave, but also we can't leave. And Tyrion's like, well, all right then. And they, so much of this chapter chase is just them thinking about making a decision and then waiting on that decision. Like, because yeah. now they're like, well, we couldn't. We don't want to go back, but we probably need to because that's like the only place where we can actually rally an audience because everyone at Caravelle is dead, and we need to like do something. So I guess let's just go back to Stable Hill, and they're like, "Great, let's let's on our way." And C.S. Lewis is like, "Oh, you know what would be this like a great 
like insert here. Let's not talk about the situation. Let's not just fast forward to the meeting. Let's leave breadcrumbs about what may have happened and what could happen in this world. And, uh, you know, let's talk about death. A lot. Let's talk about death a whole bunch. It's it, it is a significant chunk of the chapter. And at this point, I feel like it's fair to say this is this is now just direct foreshadowing as opposed to spoiler alert. Yeah, because he's no, just saying it. It's not subtext. It's text in this chapter. It's text in this chapter. So if somehow you are a reader or a listener who does not know what is going to happen and who is unaware that like things are about to hit the fan and have not been good, right? If the, the title of the last battle didn't do anything for you and you've somehow avoided our spoiler warnings so far, and if you're like, man, I try not to think about what's going to happen in the rest of this book. I just want to be surprised completely. And I don't even pay attention to foreshadowing and subtext and text. Then we'll go, hey, here's a spoiler warning for you. But also, most of what we're going to talk about the rest of the chapter of this podcast is going to be basically the end of the book and what he's setting up. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember everything that happens in this book. But it really does feel like it's going to be less climactic moment and more just like falling action collapse. Yeah, totally. It's, it, it is a, from this moment, it's kind of just like things don't go well, right? They like, and, and they have like, this is one of the only books that's got, it's got a very different like story arc structure because everything else is like starts bad gets good level out right we and we 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 leave as all the things have been resolved this is a book where it starts good gets really bad and then the resolution at the end is finality right is is things coming to a conclusion and an end and the end is the sweet part but nothing yeah. else is right when you're talking about the end of the world, the end of the world is not like we're building up and all of a sudden, like things just got progressively more and more perfect until we just merged into perfection, you know, depending on your eschatological viewpoints. Uh, but in this circumstance, it is getting worse and worse and worse and things will get worse and worse and worse until the end, right? Yeah. And in this conversation, they, you know, Jill and Pole are like, they're 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 just having this conversation and it's funny because it's kind of like Tyrion addressed it earlier he's like well you know like Eustace you already killed a guy so like I guess we're fine yeah you did it congrats some of this and they're like oh man like like I'm not feeling too great I'm I'm kind of you know still a little PTSD right now I'm shaking feel a little sick and then out of nowhere uh Eustace is like hey Jill she's like what's up he's like what do you think would happen if we got killed here which is some real matrix you know stuff or like some if you die in the game you die in the real world kind of vibes oh we haven't even talked about inception like it you die in the dream do you you die in real life right like that's how it works right or is this 
like you know groundhog day rules where like dying resets it and you just go back to where you belong or like you know what's the gig here and so they're talking and she, he's like, well, what happened if we got killed? And she's like, well, we'd be dead, I suppose. But he's like, no, 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 no. Like, in the real world, would we be, would we just transport there? Would we vanish? Would we just be dead on the train, like a heart attack or something that happened? And she's like, oh, man, never thought about that. That's a bummer. And, um, like, he, he's like, yeah, like, that'd be, that'd be crazy for Peter and them. Because they just see us dead out of nowhere. Uh, and... <laughs> Jill, I, I love this like would you want to read this dialogue real quick chase starting with the like i almost yeah. wish oh uh yeah well i mean even before that because jill says i'll just start from yeah, yeah, yeah jill's response to the idea of peter and them finding their bodies back in england <laughs> Ugh, said Jill. What a horrid idea. It wouldn't be horrid for us, said Eustace. We we shouldn't be there. I almost wish... No, I don't, though, said Jill. What were you going to say? I was going to say I wish we'd never come, but I don't. I don't. I don't. Even if we are killed, I mean, rather be killed fighting for Narnia than grow old and stupid at home and perhaps go about in a bath chair and then die in the end just the same, or sm or be smashed up by British Railways. Why do you say that? <laughs> well, when that awful jerk came, the one that seemed to throw us into Narnia, I thought it was the beginning of a railway accident. So I was jolly glad just to find ourselves here instead. Man, wouldn't that have been a bummer chase if yeah. all along they had just died in the real world? And yeah, wouldn't it be crazy and almost kind of like rude to the characters and the readers alike if he just killed them in a train crash? Wouldn't that be crazy if the whole point of this was that this is their death and their transportation to heaven? Like, wouldn't that be nuts? Like, this whole thing is a train crash that happens off screen. Yeah, it... I mean, we haven't talked much about the reality of or non-reality of Narnia because we started with the magician's nephew and so have like a different like worldview of the right. world that C.S. Lewis has constructed, but like which also like he had written the magician's nephew before this. So we should be assuming that Narnia is a real space within the like cosmos of yeah. like interdimensional reality that this yeah. book exists in. But it also like, that's why that is one of the frustrating things sometimes about CS Lewis is how inconsistent his world building is yeah. Because that's one of the ways where it's like, okay, well, is this like the view that you could take if you just took like the Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe through like uh, like Don Treader without – or yeah, if you just took those books, you could theoretically think that Narnia is a dream space. Right. Um, and – or like a metaphysical, like, like spiritual reality outside of, like, it's not another plane. 
if right. you want to go D&D with it. And I want to go real. Yeah, it's like he he creates a lot of confusion for himself because at the end of the book, we will discover they are dead and they have been dead. They died on the train crash, but also they're alive here. So is Aslan basically like, and, and there, there are things that happen later on that we won't get into too much that are not spoiled yet, that there is argument to be made that maybe Aslan just transported them right out, like right before they were going to die in the train crash. And then Death yeah, maybe he decided he might if they're gonna if he was gonna kill them off in one story, he might as well let them be some use in another story real quick. Yeah, yeah, help them bring about the end of Narnia before that happens, you know. Um, but like it's it introduces a lot of questions into everything that you have to go like, oh man, like I don't know what that means, and like you didn't have to do this, like. This is an unnecessary section, especially like what would happen if we got killed? Maybe. Right. But like it, it's an, you're creating questions and you're also just being like, this is what happened. Like, yeah, which that's one of that a lot, like the story building construction element is odd, which I mean, again, these are children's books. He didn't write these with the intention that they would be studied, even though he's a literature professor. So like what's up there. Right. Um, and so like, there's gotta be the grace to just like, these were meant to be read quickly as a story that you take in and react to not like picked apart. But at the same time, like these are children's books. Right. <laughs> and this chapter is mainly Two groups of people, each contemplating their deaths. Tyrion and Jewel contemplating which way they want to die in battle. And Eustace and Jill contemplating their demise and how that will affect the rest of the world that they live in. And what an odd. What an odd children's story. It is. It, it is for sure. And, you know, he continues this sense of dread basically until the end of the chapter. And I'm sure it's honestly like it kind of continues, right? And I'm sure that's intentional, right? But like it's a weird story matter to address with kids. But I'm kind of glad that he does where it's like, hey, you, we all have to address this, right? We yeah. might as well do this in a way that is understandable to you. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely way heavier than just like, oh yeah, we saw Bacchus and his, you know, nymphs like getting hammered in the woods. Uh, and now it's like, no, nah, man, we got to think about death. Yeah. And I'd rather have like a thoughtful conversation about the implications of death and what meaning that applies to life and how that interacts with the promise of the afterlife within the christian tradition and also the reality of the book um it's just interesting that that is not how they approach it here and also like the weird commentary on like like i think the existential dread of this chapter is weird because it's unresolved in yeah. one way because 
their conclusion is essentially, well, we might as well die here since we're already going to die one way or the other. And I'd rather die right now than live a whole life and die old. And that really ignores the fact that a whole life would have happened between now and then and all the meaning and joys and like impacts that you have otherwise. Like it's a really dark way to look at the world. If you were Peter, Edmund, and Lucy, who have, you know, lived like years and years beyond what their teenage years would suppose, you'd go, okay, yeah, that tracks. Yeah, but also, like, that is the dilemma that C.S. Lewis creates by having them spend so much time in this timeless world. Right. Um. But it's just, I just feel like they're coming to the wrong conclusions. Yeah. <laughs> I disagree with their conclusion. Um, I mean, agreed 100%. And even like that leads to the conversation between Tyrion and Jewel, right? Where yeah. like they, they're going like, you, you see the exposition dump of like, well, there's all the people that could join the fight. And like, hey, remember that time that like King Miraz was a thing back in Prince Caspian and like all the Narnians came together to attack him. What about that? And Tyrion goes like to himself is like, but what about Tash? And no one responds to it. And there's an intentionality behind that of going, yeah, that's the unanswered question. But then they, they're they just chilling and they're waiting again, more waiting. But then in this conversation between Jewel and Tyrion, Tyrion prompts this existential question of like living and dying well by saying, kiss me, Jewel, which, you know, begins this whole sentence and, and phrase that he speaks to Jewel that feels a little out of place. And then you hear Jewel's response. And if you were to not know that Jewel was a horse and you would read this and go, what kind of book is this? Because he says, kiss me, Jewel, for certainly this is our last night on earth. And if I ever offended against you in any matter, great or small, forgive me now. I mean, look, it's it's just a boy and his unicorn, okay? That's what they always tell me. He, uh, man, it's, do you it's, know it's because, like, man? I'm a big, like, I think that we need good literary and like movie and TV show storytelling examples of like true male friendship and affection. And I really don't enjoy when the assumption is made that anytime that is presented in literature and movies and TV, that that must mean that there's some other attraction there. And C.S. Lewis just makes it really difficult here to not, right. not kind of laugh a little bit and it's, giggle at their dark moment here. It's it's almost like like the like he was watching J.R.R. Tolkien with Frodo and Sam and being like like J.R.R. Tolkien's like no they're just it's a sweet friendship like these two have like done all these things together like y'all are misreading this like this is a great male friendship and C.S. Lewis is like yeah totally. Same yeah. thing. Here. If you if you want to kiss your friend while you're in the foxholes, you can do yeah. that because you might die tomorrow. You don't know. And if Jared's like, well, it was numb. We did like, what we had to do. 
<laughs> Chase, if this was not a PG con- uh, podcast, there are so many jokes that I would want to make. I know. But you know, but there's yeah. there's fun in uh in trying to dance around the edges, you know? There is. But instead, what we're gonna do is just go, this is a sweet moment. This is a horse <laughs> and a man, you know, as a unicorn and, and a king, and they're just like, Hey, we love each other, and like we might be going down soon, but sugar, we're going down swinging. And uh puzzles or <laughs> puzzle, lol. Uh <laughs> the unicorn. Sorry, I looked at my page and saw puzzle. Uh, Jewel says, like, you know, I, like, I wish that you almost, like, I could almost wish that you had offended me, so that I'm going to give it. Uh, farewell. We have known great joys together. If Aslan gave me my choice, I would choose no other life than the life I've had, and no other death than the one we go to. And you really see this, like, he is responding the way that you would expect this conversation to be. It was like, no, like, there's nothing wrong. Like, we are brothers. We have fought together i've loved the life i've lived and i know where we're heading and i know we go into insurmountable odds but like that's what i would choose at the end of the day and you go yeah band of brothers and then uh you know Tyrion sitting back like oh yeah totally that's what i was thinking about too I, um don't worry about me i'm fine like yeah death uh yeah it's uh again it's a sweet moment between friends Nothing more. Between friends and nothing. Uh, more. Y- sure. Look. And that's how it goes. But the, the kingly line will end one way or the other. You're not wrong, Chase. You're not wrong. Uh, um, <laughs> and on that note, the bonfire—it's lit. Yeah, uh, it everyone's is lit. getting ready for the meeting. And <laughs> again, like for it's it's a it's a thing where you go like. C.S. Lewis almost understands certain tropes about cats, but then also doesn't understand other ones and other things that are just like biologically true about cats, where for some reason they are able to overhear this conversation between cat, the ginger, the cat, and uh, Rishta, the Tarkin, and how they're like, it's like, hey, make sure you play your part. And he's like, oh, yeah, don't worry, meow, meow, you can count on me. They can overhear a cat, and this cat is unaware of other humans lurking in the like. Yeah, cats are incredibly perceptive. Yeah, I mean, animals in general, I mean, honestly, even people like for whatever reason, like if you're in a room and you and there's someone like behind you staring at you and you're not looking at them. You feel it. A good amount of the time, you're going to sense that something's right. off there. And a cat, cats are that to the nth degree. If you're, if you're telling me they're close enough to overhear a conversation, and it's not like they're yelling, right? They're going to be whispering because this is important subject matter. Yeah. Like, they're, you're, you're close enough to hear whispering. A cat can't hear you breathing. It's not going to feel your presence there. Come on now. It's a natural predator. It should be able to to catch circumstances. It's the most natural predator in the world. Yeah. They have tamed, like, they have overcome the odds and defeated the apex predator that is humans by making them subservient. Making us pick up their poop. Yeah. 
That's how, dude, I mean. They look. make us prepare little boxes so that they can go poop in and we have to clean it up for them. Yeah. Like, Cats, dude, they know what they're about. But they, we see this, you know, go down and then like C.S. Lewis like introduces it to the characters and to the audience as if it is a theater production because it is more or less. And to close the chapter, we get the most exciting part of the chapter and you go, why was this not the whole chapter? Because we hear uh, Rishta Tarkin and the cat uh, basically leading uh, the ape Swift uh, or shift uh, along and, and making sure he, he knows like, Hey, like, play your part say what you're like do what you're told and and like shift is now like, like you can tell he's not enjoying this anymore this has gotten out of his hands uh but he's still got to play the part otherwise he's gonna be killed or, or something worse and yeah well he does so, this whole for himself right he dug his he dug his grave and now he's jumping in right and, and so he makes this whole announcement to the gathered nardians and everyone around saying uh like Listen, all of you, a terrible thing has happened. The most, the wickedest thing that has ever happened in Narnia and Aslan. And then Arisha Tarkin is like, Tashlan, you fool. Um, he's like, oh yeah, Tashlan. That's what I meant. That's what I said, of course. Uh, Tashlan is very angry about it. Uh, and, you know, everyone's like, ooh, what's going on? And there's a, you know, silence. And he says, at this very moment, the terrible one himself is among us in the stable behind us. Someone, there's an imposter trying to pretend to be Aslan. He's walking around in a lion skin. And wouldn't you guess it? It's a donkey. It's a donkey in a, in a lion skin. And everyone's like, oh, how dare they? Why would they do this? And again, pro move. Yeah. I mean, it really is solid. Like they, they take their whole plan, which like we didn't really talk much about their plan in our discussion because they didn't really talk much about their plan in the actual chapter it kind of gets skated over but essentially the plan of our of our quote-unquote heroes is to go and hide behind the stable so that whenever they have this meeting they can go out and say this ape is lying to you here this is what he has been parading around as aslan a donkey in a costume turn against him and fight for our cause uh that was their plan and by doing this uh shift and by like transitive property because shift is now being controlled by uh the tarkin and ginger like they they have gotten ahead of the narrative and basically made it so that if they are to do their plan they would be seen by this narnian crowd as the ones who are trying to be imposters about aslan not the ones trying to reveal the truth about the imposter of Aslan. Totally. And it, it just keeps going from bad to worse, right? Where they now can't say anything. They can't, they don't have the numbers to take anyone out. So they're, you know, up a Creek without a paddle. And it's a, it's a huge bummer for them. Uh, they're, it, I still, it's really tough for me, Chase. Every time they say Ginger's name, it is really difficult for me to find this cat menacing. Is there like, they're like, oh. I don't know. I oh. picture the cat with Esme from uh, Emperor's New Groove's voice, and it kind of it works for me. It's 
but th that moment is still supposed to be funny. <laughs> no one is like scared of Yzma. They're they're still going. This is funny. Like, and even though she has killed people in the story, yeah. I mean, still funny. It's hard to be menacing. Yeah, is Ginger the cat? I mean, I don't see Ginger the cat as menacing in general. I see Ginger the cat as like conniving. Sure, but even um, conniving, and like it's it's tough for me because I wish you would just n give it a regular Narnian name, like just name it anything else, even just a human name, like just like this is a tabby cat. Let's call her Tabitha. Or like, you know, just give her like, solid. give the cat a name and you'd go, okay. But it's really hard. Like, imagine if you were reading Harry Potter and it was like, he who shall not be named is like, can can you spell it? And he's like, no, I can't spell. It's like, just, you know, whisper. And he goes, Ginger the cat. <laughs> like, it's hard. It's tough to take it seriously, Chase. Uh, that's yeah. where I find myself every single time. Um, but alas this is maybe, I mean, like, maybe ginger is actually one of those things where if you move the letters around it spells that out i am a tabby cat i'm yeah i mean maybe uh but it only uh, works if you put i am in front of it it doesn't actually work if you if you just take the the cat this is true uh but i you know alas may i i do feel like going back to the actual content of this the like imagery I got was like you you mentioned a politician. I feel like it's also the same thing as like if you had like a pastor or like a church leader who got caught in like a scandal and immediately was like, Hey, we're gonna start a series on like unity in the body and like making sure that no one's causing division. Because then anyone who like said anything against it would be like, Well, now you're just causing division. Yeah. Uh we're, and, we're gonna like, teach on submitting to authority and yeah. Suddenly, the phrase "Don't touch God's anointed" is going to come up a lot. Totally right, and, and, and you know, you or you see like, like a very like high end politicians will do this, where it's like, man, this is just a tactic, like by you know X party to make me look bad or to you know make the you know system seem fraudulent. And you go, well, now if someone says anything, it's just going to confirm to that group what was just said right but it's like no but what truth and justice right uh it, it's you know we don't want to become too political so i don't want to like no oh, yeah i feel like too many things. like that that line is being walked fine but yeah, yeah. it is a it is a misinformation campaign that's totally and it and it is very successful but works instantly if you were like man this is really good I wish I had more of this conversation. You, you're going to have to do what we're doing and just wait because yeah. that's literally the end of it. And Check in in two to six weeks when we get to the next chapter. Guys, we want to acknowledge that uh, we've been slacking. And here's the deal. I don't think we've been slacking. I think we've been Life is busy. living our lives. And sometimes the podcast fits into that. And some weeks it uh, needs to take a back and and that's you know we will try to like trudge through the final you know six or seven chapters of this book or whatever it is and we'll make it yeah 
We'll be done just in time for the uh, new Greta Gerwig series so that we can go episode by episode. <laughs> That's I, a joke, everyone. I'm not making any promises for anything, I, ever. <laughs> I think we, we, we're going to have to you know, play that one by ear a little bit. I think we're going to have to uh, to let you all watch that on your own. Yes. Uh, Ho- hopefully the ringer does a podcast on that or something. Yeah, we'll and and we'll definitely direct you over there. Uh, but Chase, uh, this is the end of our chapter. This is we're just introduced into deception and dread, and you know it's uh from here on out, it's just gonna get more and more bleak. Uh, I I'd like to tell you that you know things are gonna get better for our heroes, but I don't want to lie to you. Yeah, it's this is a weird book, and weird we book. knew that going into it, and we're going to keep unpacking what C.S. Lewis is trying to say with each chapter as we're going through this, but, I mean, he clearly wants us to sit in the dread and kind of unfortunate reality of the fact that we live in a world that is being deceived. Yep, and... We will prepare for even more of this, more misinformation campaigns, more dread, and more deception. But hopefully, we can give you the light at the end of the tunnel and say that though things are going to get worse and worse, eventually, there's hope. Things will get better, right? Yeah. We will move forward. And there is, ultimately, the greatest further up and further in. And you may notice we're not doing further up and further ends like we used to, because at the end of this book, there is the further up and further in. There is the deeper and the better and the greater that we are hoping for and looking toward. We just don't have it yet. Yeah, we've got to sit in the moment because that's where the book is right now. Yep. Um, but that is true. But it's yeah. all going somewhere. Chase, there's no place I'd rather be than here. There's no way that I'd rather die than on this podcast. And so in that, on that note... Why would, why would we want to grow old and, and die happily with, surrounded by our families when we could die on this podcast? Like, given the choice between dying on this podcast or spending more time with my wife and son and, you know, enjoying the world and, you know, being part of the ministry and, you know, growing the kingdom of God here on earth and, you know, whatever, I think there's a clear and obvious choice. Yeah. It's that you should... Send this podcast to anyone who you know hasn't listened to it yet. You can find it here. You can find it wherever you've been listening to it on Apple, on Audible, on Spotify. Uh, leave us a five star rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. Go follow us on At the Chronicles of Podcast, and maybe you too will have the fortune of dying on this podcast, like Chase and I will. Uh, but until the next time we see you, just enjoy some bleakness. Maybe go listen to some, you know, early thousands uh emo music yeah uh, don't listen to their 2023 reboots yeah uh, listen to some paramore uh and then uh yeah maybe stare into the void and think about the barbie movie just watch try to, try to think about how the barbie movie applies to you watch the twilight movies with no audio <laughs> <laughs> you it's better without it i think uh and and just sit in the bleakness yeah but until then peace
look, everything's not great. Y'all should probably just go home because we're more than likely going to die here. Should we do a summary? Oh, you know what? My bad. We just jumped straight in. Uh, yeah, we can remove all this in editing. I can figure it out. Um, I won't have to remember, but I can figure it out. On that, Chase, would you like to give us a summary? I'd love to. <laughs> all right. So they all stood there for a long time. Okay. I'm just going to let there be a little space. Yeah. Because I can find that cut point. Finn, come here. As I'm about to read, my dog is about to start shaking his collar around. 